Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Acts chapter 16, if you're ready to read, I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit here. We're going to start reading in verse 9 if you have your Bible. It says this in, in a vision. Someone say a dream. This is Paul uh, hanging out. He's getting some shut eye. And in a vision, uh, in the night, a man of Macedonia, where is he from? Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, uh, he's seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, someone say immediately. Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, a certain woman, verse 14, uh, uh, when, when she, uh, now a certain woman named Lydia, can you see screens, uh, heard us, she was a seller of purple. Someone say, business is good. Let me just say this, when you sell purple, you're doing pretty good. What do you do for a living? I, I sell purple. That's a good industry to be in. From the city of, uh, you can pronounce that, who worship God, the Lord, opened the heart, uh, opened her heart to, the, to hear and heed the things that were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you would if you judge me to be uh, faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Verse 22, skip forward a little bit. Then the multitude rose up. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, actually, let's, let's rewind here just a little bit. Uh, verse 16 says, Now it happened as we went to a certain place to pray, a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination, uh, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. She was a sidekick, a sidekick. And this girl followed Paul and us, cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Paul being greatly annoyed. Someone say, Praise the Lord. Come on, anybody else been greatly annoyed before? It's scriptural, people. It says, Paul, being greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, didn't say it to the girl, said it to the spirit, some things don't need counseled out, some things need casted out. Can I get an amen? amen. Said to the spirit, come out of her in Jesus' name. And, it, she, and the spirit came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they arrested Paul and Silas, dragged them to the marketplace. They made accusations. They ended up getting the crowd to beat them, strip off their clothing, and arrest them into prison. And it says they commanded the jailer to keep them securely in the prison. And, uh, and they put them in and fastened their feet in the stocks, verse 24, verse 25. But at midnight, what time was it? Almost finished. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying. They were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. Notice this, that usually people uh, pay the most attention to us, not in our good seasons when life is going well. But the eyes of the doubters are usually on us the most when things aren't going well. They were listening to us. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened up, and everyone's chains were loose. The keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep, seeing the prison doors were open, supposing that all the prisoners had fled, drew a sword, was going to take his life. Back in these days, if a prisoner lost a, uh, a, a, a guard lost a prisoner, it would be their life for their life. So he cut the sword, was getting ready to kill himself. And Paul said, do yourself no harm. We're all still here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell in trembling before Paul and Silas, brought them and said, sirs, what do I got to do to be safe? So they said, believe on the Lord. Pretty easy. Come on, amen. 
It's funny, we make it sometimes harder to become a, a part of a church than it is to become a part of God's kingdom. Believe on the Lord, Jesus Christ, and he will save you, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his household, and he took some that same hour and washed their stripes, and immediately him and all of his, his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set some in and out burger, can I get an amen from the church? Before them, having rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. This morning, I'm going to talk to you for the next 22 minutes on the subject matter, good outcomes. Is that all right? Write good outcomes, and then uh, after that, you can write God outcomes. I believe that we serve a God that's interested in outcomes. Can I get an amen? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And uh, I wanted, if I could, just piggyback a little bit off Pastor Steve's word last week. And uh, this has been something that God's been dealing with me about, and I really feel like it's specific for this church. I'm going to talk about seasons this morning. I believe whether you're old or you're young, all of us are in a, in a season right now. And I believe, I'm just coming here today to announce to you that there's a good season headed up for all of us, and even for this church. So let's pray this morning, get into God's Word. If you're ready to have a good time today, say amen. God, this morning, we're just so grateful to be at such a great church, such an amazing part of the country, next to one of the most ridiculous high school football stadiums. We love you this morning, Jesus, and God, whether it's our first time or whether we come to church 1132 faithfully, we invite you to meet us where we are today. You said in James that if we take a step towards you, that you are always the God that takes a step towards us. So Lord, we invite you today to meet us where we are and lead us into where you want us to be. We pray you bless, Lord, the Dallas Cowboys this season in Jesus' name. And someone in the church said amen. Amen. It's good preaching. Have you ever, uh, you ever been to Disney? Who's been to Disneyland? Disneyland, yeah. My wife is one of those weird people that likes Disneyland without kids. And uh, I think if, I, I go to Disneyland because I have kids and I love my kids. But people that like to go to Disneyland without kids, we call them weirdos. Can I get an amen? I'm uh, just kidding. But she, she loves, my whole, whole family loves Disneyland. I don't know what it is, but uh, they, they love it. They like to go to Disneyland. For me, Disneyland is one of those places that I go to uh, because I love my children. But the, Disneyland's crazy. It's, it's a magical place, uh, they say. But uh, it's crazy because uh, it's pretty much uh, it's a people trap set by a mouse. Can I get an amen? And uh, you got to refinance your house to go. You, uh, you stand in lines like you're in the California DMV. It is a magical place. It's one of the few places you can walk 47 miles in a day in 120 degree weather, still gain weight. It's a magical place. I've uh, been to Disneyland on multiple occasions, and uh, it's, it's one I don't even like going anymore because I go out of the country a lot. And I don't like checking, you know those customs forms when you travel? I don't like having to check the boxes. You know, there's that question on there that says, have you been around, have you been exposed to livestock? I'm like, I've been to Disney lately, and uh, check that box. It's a crazy place. There's more demon-possessed people, specifically children at Disneyland than in the Bible. See more weeping and gnashing of teeth at Disneyland. It's crazy. I, uh, I've been there. It's, it's, it's an exhausting place. Uh, I've been to Disneyland multiple occasions. And it's just, it's always interesting. There's highs and lows. You know, you get there, you're excited. This can be the best day ever. You take the picture in front of that, that you know, the, the garden area there. And the guy's there with the camera getting ready to take a $74 picture of you. And uh, it's crazy. You get there, you're excited. This is going to be the greatest day ever. 
and uh, you, you get in there, you walk in, you follow the herd of cattle as you walk into the park, you find the lines, and you start standing in line. It's like, this is the worst thing we've ever done. Your kids start crying. Uh, I'm hungry, Daddy. You spend more time, come on, at the restaurants and in line than you do actually having fun. I'm sorry. I sound like Debbie Downer right now. But listen, it's, just, it's my experience. And I'll be honest, I, we go to Disneyland. There's high highs. You get on the rides. You're having a blast. Splash Mountain, Space Mountain, all the mountains. Come on. The Mountain of the Lord, Mount Carmel. And uh, you, you leave Disneyland. And it's just interesting. I'm always exhausted. You're, you know, you, you have that, that layer of salt over your body from sweating all day, you've worn out your deodorant, come on, you made right guard turn left, you know what I'm saying, and it's been a long day, and, and I just remember getting in the car, it's always the same, you get in the car, your kids are exhausted, my favorite ride, by the way, is the ride home, and uh, you get your kids in the car, and my kids pass out, and it's just interesting, at the end of the day, you have the highs, the lows, my kids meltdowns, uh, the kids fighting sleep, the nap, come on, in the, in the air-conditioned uh, hot dog store. And uh, it's crazy at the end of the day. It's always one of those interesting dynamics that there's highs, there's lows. But when you look at the back seat and you see your kids falling asleep and you know that you created a memory, it's always interesting to me that you, you, you're willing to go back and do it again. Not because it was easy, but because at the end of the day it was a good outcome. Can I get an amen? There's highs, there's lows, there's exciting moments, there's excruciating moments. But at the end of the day, it's always looking back, it's, it's worth it. And you see, I believe that we serve a God that's interested in outcomes. And as I'm reading through Acts chapter 16, I see that life is kind of like Acts chapter 16. There's highs, there's lows, there's valleys, there's mountains. There's successful seasons, there's trying seasons, there's seasons of abundance, and it seems like there's even, as Pastor Steve said, seasons we go through that we're lacking. But I've learned that we serve a God that's not in one season, but is over all seasons. Can I get an amen? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that there are seasons for everything under the sun. And as I read through this story, I'm, I'm encouraged, and I want to encourage someone today that regardless of the season that you're in, I want to let you know today that God is interested in your season. He can meet you in the season that you're in. And I believe there's revelations of God that we only experience on mountaintops. And there's seasons of, that, of, of revelation that we get from God that are only experienced in the dark valleys. Some of you meet God on the, on the way up. Some of you meet him on the way down. Some of you meet him up high. And some of you met God when you're low. But I want you to know this morning that we serve a God that knows where we are. Starts the story off by saying, if you want to write notes today, I just have seven, seven seasons of life that we find from Acts chapter 16. And God spoke to me very clearly that, that Church 1132 is going through probably one or if not more of these seasons uh, simultaneously right now. The first season we see in Acts chapter 16 is it starts off in verse 9 of chapter 16. It says that Paul had a dream that was given to him by God. And the dream said, go to Macedonia and, and help, and help, and help. You know what I've learned is that, if you're taking notes this morning, I believe there's a season that everyone in this room, at some point in your life, if you really want to do something significant with your life, is you have to come to a place that you believe that God's dream for your life is even greater than your dream for your life. I'll tell you right now, I believe there's, there, that really there's, there's two, the, two uh, key moments of your life. There's the moment that you're born, and then there's the, the most significant reason is when you become born again and you realize what you were born for. 
And some of you have been born physically, but you've never become alive or awake to why God made you. And I want you to know today that God has a dream for your life. If you want to write notes today, I believe that even a, a, a piggybacking, a piggybacking off of Pastor Dustin's message, Joyride, that one of the most satisfying, fulfilling places to be in life isn't the safest place to be. It's the place that you're doing what God's asking you to do in life. God's dream. God gave, come on, a guy named Joseph a dream when he was 17 years old. That dream shaped his destiny. God's dream shaped his future. It's amazing that when you get a dream by God, God's dream's always bigger for you than something that you can manufacture on your own. How do you know if you're living for God's dream? God's dream is always in the deep end. God's dream always requires God's assistance. Can I say it this way? If you can accomplish your dreams without God, it's an idea, it's not a dream. God's dreams require God's assistance. They're beyond your sustenance. They're beyond your educational background. They're beyond your resume. They're beyond God's dreams will always take you further than you can take yourselves. And I got good news today. Regardless if you're a school teacher, a stay-at-home mom in ministry, you're a businessman, God has a dream for your life. And I want to say this really clearly because God's dream, watch what it says in verse 9. It says, a man came and said, come to Macedonia and help us. How do you take the litmus test to God's dreams? You see, I believe God's dreams, one of the easiest ways of knowing, is this God's dream or is this my ego? Is God's dream is always attached to people. And I believe if your dream is only to build your castle and not God's kingdom, it's probably not God's dream, it's probably your idea. God's dream is always connected to helping people. Can I get a good amen? comes to God, he says, hey, I got a dream. I got a dream for you. And the Bible says immediately, in verse, in verse 10, immediately they, they, they knew this is God. This is God's desire for us to go to Macedonia. And the Bible says the first thing they did is, if you're taking notes, number two is they obeyed God. You see, I believe that obedience is easiest when it's instant. I'll say that again. Obedience is easiest when it's instant. One of the greatest revelations I learned about God when he asked me, you've been in service before and God starts asking you for something, challenging you in the area, break up with that girl, she's the devil, come on, that's Lucifer, he's like, no, it's Satan, um, and you've been in a service before, maybe God's challenged you, maybe giving, or maybe, maybe changing a lifestyle, it's, it's interesting, I've learned this, that God will never ask you to do anything that won't eventually help you out in the long run. This is a powerful theological thought. People always think, well, Mark, God's asking me to do this to ruin my life. God never asks us to do things to ruin our lives. If God's challenging us, even as Pastor Steve sharing this morning, maybe it's an extravagant gift. Maybe it's doing something outside of your comfort zone. Maybe it's going on a missions trip. Maybe it's starting a new business on the side. God will never challenge you to do something that won't eventually help you out in the long run. And I believe one of the greatest things to do when God speaks to you is obey instantly. See, the longer you wait, usually the, the more apt you are to forget. I asked my daughter, she's nine, hey, Kenzie, brush your teeth. In a minute. Who's ever gotten that response before? The devil is a liar. You're going to do it now, young lady. She's always, in a minute. That's her favorite little phrase. Like, hey, girl, do your homework. She's like, in a minute. I'm like, I brought you into this world. And uh, you give me in a minute again, we're going to have some issues. You know why? Because delayed obedience is oftentimes what leads us to disobedience. 
I think one of the greatest things we can do is when God speaks, come on, what did, what did Mary say? Let it be to me according to your word. Speak. Come on, Samuel said, your servant is listening. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. I think one of the greatest things we can do is say, God, if you speak to me, I'll obey your voice. And I'll tell you real quick, the easiest way to obey God's voice is instantly. Immediately, we heard God's voice, we go to Macedonia. The third season you find yourself in when you get a dream and you obey God's dream. The third thing that usually always happens, we find out in Acts chapter 16, is favor will always follow you. I believe one of the greatest, uh, greatest truths of God's word is that when you do what God asks you to do in life, eventually, I wrote it this way if you're taking notes, I believe that, uh, that favor finds the obedient eventually. You write that down. Favor will always find the obedient eventually. And some people go, Mark, well, I obeyed God. It didn't change overnight. It, it hasn't, the dust hasn't settled yet, friend. You see, to be blessed doesn't mean that you don't go through trials. To, to be blessed doesn't mean that the sun doesn't shine on you and rain on the other. You see, the Bible says that, that, that it, it rains on the just and on the unjust. And to be blessed doesn't mean that you don't go through things. It means that when you go through it, on the other side, you look back and say, God was with me. Job was blessed. Come on. That was a revelation for someone. I thought his name was Job. No, it was Job. Job was blessed. He went through hell, but when you're blessed, it doesn't mean you're, you're absent from trials. It means that on the other side of your trials, you look back and say, God was with me, and I am better now than I was before I went through this. This is interesting. He says that favor found them. They get to Macedonia. They have an affluent businesswoman named Lydia. She, she owned Purple. And Lydia starts funding their ministry. Lydia says, come to my house, baptizes everyone in her house, and favor finds their obedience. And I have a word for some, someone in this room. You just, you're going to make a choice to obey God today. And when you step out and say, God, you've been asking me to do this for 17 years. God, this has been in my heart for six months. I've been meaning to do this in my marriage since I got married. I haven't done it yet. When you obey God, favor will always come on that thing. And when you obey and favor comes, I believe that favor often leads to the fourth thing that we find in verse 18. It says that the, the fourth thing is that you'll go from a season of favor to a season of faith. You see, I believe that when you experience favor, it'll always build your faith. When God's gracious to you when you don't deserve it, it builds your faith. When God heals you, even though you had an attitude this week, it builds your faith. When you experience an answered prayer, when God brings you out of a, a, a dark habit, a dark addiction, favor will always build your faith. Can I get an amen? When you get a prophetic word, when you get, when you get something that just changes, you, you hear a message that kind of gets you on a new path in life, favor will always lead to higher dimensions of faith. You see, God's desire for you is that you would believe that he can do the impossible and that you would have eyes to see what's invisible. You see, faith is when you say, God, would you, would you, would you come where I'm at? I trust that you're going to lead and guide me. And this is what I believe about faith is that God always meets us at our level of faith. It's good news today. Like, Mark, I don't have any faith. Good news is Jesus is so good, he'll meet you in your doubt. But he loves you too much to let you stay there. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know what God honors the most? Faith. You know what honors God the most? Faith. 
Faith is what honors God the most, and it's what God mostly honors. I believe that today, God wants to take some of you to a season of faith. Some of you have been in a season of doubt. Do you know it's okay to ask questions? That's all right. But I believe that you can ask a question in faith, or you can ask a question with a critical doubt. I believe that when you ask in faith, it says, God, even if I don't understand you, I still believe in you. Doubt is when you say, well, I can't understand it, so maybe, God, you aren't real. Maybe you aren't good. Let me let you know on a secret. If your eight-pound brain can comprehend all of who God is, he's probably not big enough to be God. Because a God that can be completely understood is probably a God that's not big enough to be completely trusted. Can I get an amen? You're like, Mark, how could that be? I don't know. I'm really smart. I have degrees next to my name. But listen to me. You compared to Jesus, is a, is a, is a, is a, there's actually a larger gap than between me and the ant that's on the driveway as I pulled into this church building today. You try to explain calculus to a, an ant. Come on. I don't even understand calculus. Can I get an amen from somebody? But there's a larger gap between you and Jesus than there is between you and the ants on your driveway. And sometimes we go, Mark, I'm really smart. You're like, how smart are you? Right. Took you two years to say mama. <laughs> Took you five years to learn how to tie your shoes. Took you 14, 15 years to get the concept of driving. Come on. Took some of you 18 years to get a piece of paper that says you're kind of smart. 22, 21 years to say I'm smarter than most. And some of us think that in 25 or 35 or 45 years of living that we can outsmart or fully understand the God that's always been. Could I suggest to you that God knows more than you know? And he doesn't have to be fully understood to be fully trusted. That'll liberate someone today. And faith will always lead us Oftentimes, some of our greatest triumphs will oftentimes lead us to areas of conflict. We don't talk about this a lot in church. Have you noticed that sometimes the greatest moments you have with God are followed sometimes by some of the greatest attacks? Kind of reminds me of Elijah. He calls down fire, right? Prophets are annihilated. Jezebel's freaking out. And he goes from calling down fire on a mountain to less than 24 hours later, he's scared out of his mind requesting that God kill him. How could you go from a mountaintop to a valley so quickly? Noah saves the world with a floating zoo. He builds a ship. And the first thing he does when he gets off the ship is he gets drunk. So drunk he's naked in his house. That's really drunk. You know what's interesting is Noah, he goes from a high high to a low low. David sees the promises of God fulfilled in his life. Goes from an outlaw to the king. Kills a giant. Only to inherit God's promises to give in a temptation. Commit adultery. Commit murder. All these things. How can you go from so high to so low so fast? Is I believe that oftentimes our greatest, I wrote it like this, is, is I believe that some of hell's largest attacks come after some of heaven's greatest breakthroughs. And I want to encourage you today that whenever God's doing something awesome in your life, I always meant for me, I don't pray, God, let me do good when I preach or let me do good in business. I always pray, Lord, be with me when I'm there, but would you guard and protect me when I'm finished? Would you guard and protect me when I'm on my way home? Would you guard and protect my family? Are you hearing me today? Because I believe that whenever you're taking ground, we're not a threat to a devil when we're going the same direction he's going. 
it's when we stand up and say, look, life's pushing me this way, but I am going to go this way. You're not a threat to an enemy that you're marching with. Are you hearing me today? And we don't need God's promises for the areas that don't come under attack. Can I let you know an idea? God has given us promises in this book. You don't need a promise for something that can't be attacked. And you don't need a promise for something that can't be doubt, doubted. The reason why God gives us promises is because there's going to be times that you go through an attack. And you say, in the middle of this attack, you said in your word that you're going to be with me. That you will never leave me or forsake me. As the band comes up, I believe this morning that some of you might be in a season of conflict. You see, Paul obeyed the voice of God. He stepped out in faith. What did he do? He cast an evil spirit out of this psychic girl. When he stepped out in faith, immediately he gets arrested for it. He gets arrested for liberating a demon-possessed girl. And when conflict hits him, he finds himself in a low place, number six. Some of you today came to church maybe desperate or in a dire circumstance. I think sometimes Christians that have been saved for a long time, we forget that every Sunday people are showing up to our churches, not because it's the cute thing to do, but because they've looked everywhere outside of the church for help and they haven't found it yet. And I want you to know that if you're in a low place today, maybe this is your first Sunday ever in church. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in 20 years, 30 years. I want you to know that God does some of his best work when we're in trouble. I'll say it again. God does some of his best work when we're in trouble. David describes God as the God who is our very present help in time of need. I don't know if you're in a time of need right now, but Paul and Silas found themselves in a prison surrounded by a bunch of murderers, rapists, and scary people. And they're literally missionaries. They're doing prison ministry a little bit differently as inmates. And they're beaten, they're bloody, they're naked, they're in stocks. It's really painful to be in. And it's interesting that it goes on to say that in verse 23, at about midnight, they begin to pray and sing hymns to God. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. They start singing. They start praying. God, you're so good. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. How would you sing when you're bloody and you're beaten and you were arrested for doing the right thing? Can I just say sometimes I think that we're so focused on outcomes immediately that we don't trust God in the process. But could it be that Paul and Silas had a perspective that was bigger than the temporary? And they just start praying, and they start praising. And if you're taking notes today, I believe this, that praying and praising will always accelerate the season that we're in. Praying and praising will always accelerate the season that we're in. And if you're in a low place, friend, one of the fastest ways out of a low place is by praying and by praising. And they begin to trust God and praise God in the low place. If you're in an addiction, you're in a desperate circumstance, you're in a hopeless environment, you're in trouble, can I encourage you today that God is the God that knows where you are? He is the God that knows how to get you out of where you are? Some say, Mark, I'm in a low place. Listen to me, Jesus is the elevator out. 
And I want you to know today you are not outside of God's reach because you're not outside of God's love. Mark, I've done too many bad things. Listen to me. We don't get to God because of our good deeds. God got to us because of his good deeds. Christianity is not about us deserving his love. It's about us accepting his love. 2,000 years ago, God treated Jesus the way that he should have treated us so that 2,000 years later, he could treat us the way that he wanted to treat Jesus. You're in a low place. God, I trust you. God, I love you. And he began to praise. And he began to pray. And as he did, you know what happened is trust began to well up inside of him. Trust began to well up inside of him. Trust is when we, when we realize that God sees us at our worst, but loves us with his best. Would you write that today? Why would you trust God? Because God sees me at my worst, but he'll still love me with his best. This is the God that we serve. So the story goes that their praise causes an earthquake. A lot can be preached on in this text. Everyone's jail, chains fall off. And it says the jailer, someone say the jailer. That's where I close. The jailer runs in and says, what do I got to do to become Christian? All he said to do is believe. Believe on the Lord. Sometimes we say you got to go through 14 steps, 13 programs, four membership classes, and then I think maybe you might make it in. Listen, he says, believe on the Lord. You and all your household. Today, God is not a God just for you. He is a God of households. Says they were all baptized. Here's where it gets crazy. Paul's dream. Here's the outcome. It's a crazy, wild ride. But at the end, what we discover is three things. Number one, Paul's obedience to the dream led to a jailer becoming a Christian. Well, that's cute, Mark. No, no, let me tell you how big this is. Scholars tell us that it is very likely that this particular specific jailer would go on to become the first pastor of the church of Philippi. Philippi would be the equivalent of Los Angeles. It was a port city named after King Philip, the, the, the father of Alexander the Great, 350 BC. It's one of the most significant cities in that region, Macedonia. And here, lo and behold, a jailer who becomes converted because of one man's dream, one man's obedience, becomes the pastor of a church called the Church of Philippi. His family becomes Christians, number two. But here's where it gets really awesome. God uses a temporary low moment, low season, and conflict so this one jailer could get saved, so his family could get saved, so that he could become the first pastor of Philippi. Why? So maybe it'd be one day in a Roman prison, ironically, Paul writes one of the happiest books in the Bible in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. Without Acts chapter 16, we don't have the book of Philippians. What does God remind us in the book of Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Could it be as God was writing to the Philippian church to that jailer, he was reminded of the hell he went through, and he writes down, I can do, you can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Why would God write why would God inspire a book to the Philippian church the, the way that he did? Why is it the book of encouragement? Maybe because some of the hell they went through to birth this church, God knew the outcome of their obedience. And today, I don't know what you're going through, but I know this about church 1132. This is a God that will be strong 
that will know God and that will do great exploits. Outcomes are God's department. Obedience is our department. Today, if you don't have a dream, today, if you're not obeying God's dream for your life, today, if you need a new level of, maybe you're believing God for favor to come on your life, for your faith to increase, maybe God to intervene in the areas of conflict, maybe you're in a low place. I got good news to you for you today. We can trust God, because he's not just a God of good outcomes, he's the God of God outcomes. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.